Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you're using the Bible that's in the church, it's uh, 980, page 980. Again, uh, Philippians 2, beginning with verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, bring in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others uh, more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you Look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. Thank you, Mark. Well, I want to invite you now to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Sermon text today will be Matthew 5, 5. As you're finding your way there, um, I just want to say how nice it is to have Steve and Don Wood with us today. Steve is a pastor at Risen Hope Community Church up in Random Lake, and he's on vacation today, and he chose to come vacation with you. So it's great to uh, um, have both of you guys here. And I'd like to just pray for you, if we could, before we get started. Father, thank you for this opportunity to fellowship together. Thank you for Steve and Don. Uh, Thank you for the way that you've um, called them to yourself, the way that you've placed them there in Risen Hope, the way that you've enabled them to persevere over the years. And thank you for the way that you have just gifted them to use them in important and significant ways in the lives of your people. And uh, we're just grateful for the opportunities we've had over the years to fellowship, and we are grateful for their friendship, their encouragement to us, and I pray that you would just bless them as a couple, bless them as a church, and just pray that uh, your work would continue in mighty ways for the building up of Risen Hope and for the glory of your name. So Lord, encourage them even during this brief vacation. Would you refresh them and send them back charged and 
and ready to continue serving. So Lord, be with them and bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 today. Uh, Jesus here, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and more particular in this passage that we know as the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, Today, I want to suggest that there are five things that Jesus wants you to know, and the first is this, that Jesus wants you to know that meekness is a blessing from God. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of a person being meek. Maybe maybe it's good, maybe it's not so good. Um, But what Jesus wants you to recognize and know is that meekness is an undeserved grace gift from God. Uh, Meekness is a demonstration of favor from God. Meekness is a fruit of the gospel graciously given by God to his children. And so if Jesus has liberated you from the occupation of the evil one, and have If Jesus has landed on the shore of your heart and drove out the enemy and you've been set free to live for God and to enjoy God, one of the things that Jesus, uh, your King, King Jesus, gives you is meekness. Gives you meekness. Now, ever since Adam rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden, sin has left a path of destruction and bondage. Uh, But God promised, even back in Genesis 3.15, to send a deliverer. And all the way through the Old Testament, God was preparing the world for the unveiling of that deliverer. God sent his son to the earth as a demonstration of his love for his people. Uh, in, In doing so, he sent the promised son to be our savior. And when Jesus began his public ministry, he announced, he he began his ministry by announcing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, the, the king is now present. The promised king, the righteous king that was promised is now present. Jesus began to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and he began to heal the sick. And then Jesus went up onto the mountain and he sat down and he began to teach. And this is the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in this sermon, Jesus tells you that you must be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. You you don't read through the Sermon on the Mount and conclude, yes, I I can do that. Uh, You don't conclude, yeah, that is totally me. Uh, Jesus reveals the character and the conduct and the authenticity that is required in the kingdom of heaven. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you see clearly and convincingly that you desperately need a Savior, someone to rescue you. And thanks be to God, Jesus is that Savior. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5.17 that He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So the entire Sermon on the Mount reveals the character, the conduct, the authenticity of Jesus. 
The Sermon on the Mount is given to us in the context of Matthew's Gospel, where we also learn that Jesus obeyed his Father even to death on the cross. And again, why did Jesus die on the cross? It was to purchase your redemption from sin and death. So, Jesus died on the cross to set you free from the stranglehold of the evil one. Uh, Jesus shed his blood to bring you back to God. Jesus' death on the cross was an historical event, but it becomes a reality in your life when you were born again and you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he, in what he did on the cross for you. So if, if you were here this morning, you've, you've been saved by Jesus, you know that you were at one time spiritually dead towards God, but then God made you alive and God gave you a grace gift that you don't deserve, the forgiveness of sin and the in eternal life. Um, by faith, as we talked about at Easter, you died with Jesus. By faith, you were raised to life with Jesus. By faith, you were given the righteousness of Jesus, and you're given the life of Jesus. And, and this, this is my point. This, because the Sermon on the Mount reveals the life of Jesus... And because Jesus is your life by faith. The Sermon on the Mount is what Jesus will produce in your life. And this includes meekness. Meekness, then, is a blessing from God. And Jesus wants you to know that. If you are blessed, you have received God's favor as an undeserved gift, making God your source of joy and contentment in life. So, being blessed by God is not something that you earn or achieve. God gives blessing as a gift. He shows favor to people who have no right to it uh, whatsoever. It's simply an expression of God's love, God's grace. And it's always a surprise. Jesus wants you to know that meekness is an expression of God's grace to you. Jesus wants you to display meekness in your life as a good thing that God has given to you. Well, number two, Jesus also wants you to know that meekness flows out of being poor in spirit and mourning. So there's a logical flow to the Beatitudes. If you are poor in spirit, that is if you recognize your own spiritual bankruptcy before God, you will also mourn or weep over your sin or over sin before a holy God. So when you are poor in spirit, you know and believe that your sin left you undone before God and you can do nothing to earn God's favor. And when you are gripped with the seriousness of your offense against God, you weep and mourn over your own sin. But there is grace, undeserved favor. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's grace. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for you shall be comforted. Again, that is grace undeserved favor from God. 
So, if being poor in spirit and mourning over our own sin describes the assessment we give ourselves before God, meekness has more to do with how we relate to other people before God. So, here's the connection. If your heart is filled with pride, you will be defensive, you'll be, uh, you, you will assert your own rights and desires, but if you are poor in spirit and mourn over your own sin before God, if, if you've tasted God's good grace, you, you will be filled with grace and gentleness and kindness towards others. To help take this out of the, the theoretical world into real life, listen to what John Stott says, and I quote, I myself am quite happy to recite the general confession in church and call myself a miserable sinner. It causes me no great problem. I can take it in stride. But let somebody else come up to me after church and call me a miserable sinner, and I want to punch him in the nose. In other words, I am not prepared to allow other people to think or speak of me what I have just acknowledged before God that I am. Stott goes on, there is a basic hypocrisy here. There always is when meekness is absent, end of quote. So number three this morning, Jesus wants you to know that meekness is not weakness, but it's a controlled desire to see another's interests advance ahead of your own. Unfortunately, the first thing that people often think of when they hear the word meek is weakness, but just the opposite is true. Meekness is not weakness, but it, and it's not being wishy-washy, it's not being indecisive, it's not being timid. Jesus was meek, but yet he drove the money changers from the table, uh, from the temple. Moses uh, was, was meek, and yet he judged sinners and even faced Aaron and his sin. So rather, meekness is a controlled desire to see others' interests advance ahead of your own. And I would argue meekness, rather than being weak, it requires, it's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you to put to death selfish desires and to put the needs of other people ahead of your own. And so this kind of meekness, a right understanding of meekness, will really produce a humble and considerate and gentle attitude towards others. Uh, A bunch of years ago when Shelly and I were in, uh, still in seminary, I remember a situation where uh, Steve and Vicki Stairs, who, who are now some of our missionaries, came to uh, visit us up at seminary, and they took us out for dinner, and we went to a, a nice restaurant, and we were uh, there at a time when it was really, really busy, and we were being waited upon by a young lady who we happened to be their very first, the very first table she ever waited on by herself. And it was Shelly and I and our kids and Steve and Vicky and their kids. And so we had 10 plus people around the table. And this lady uh, takes on this big group for the very first time. And you can kind of imagine what happened. Um, The orders got mixed up. Some of us didn't get our drinks. The drinks were mixed up. 
food wasn't ordered in proper way, and so we were switching tables around. Uh, she was going to get things. She forgot to get things, and uh, it, it was not a. It was not. It was certainly not a pleasant experience for her, um, but it was even less so for us. And so, when you and I are in that kind of a situation, and if we respond to a situation like that in our flesh, how might we respond? Well, my hunch is if we respond in our flesh, we're going to be kind of upset. Because listen, uh, I've come here for many years. I've always had good service. I'm paying good money for this meal. I expect good service. We, we've come here to enjoy our fellowship together. And you have ruined it. You know, I mean, we can get kind of nasty if we're demanding our own rights. Um, but thankfully... Um, we kind of sat around that table and we recognized the situation. So let, let's help this lady out. Let's, it's her first time. Let's, let's just be patient with her. Let's, let's help this be a learning opportunity for her. And, and by God's grace, we were able to do that, where we were thinking not just of what we deserved, quote unquote, and being served well, but the fact that we had an opportunity to really serve her well. And uh, we probably could have made that her last day of work if we wanted to. I mean, we could have been kind of tough. Um, but hopefully we encouraged her to keep at it and grow and become uh, a better waitress as time went along. Uh, when we are meek, we have a controlled desire to see others' interests advance ahead of our own. So that, does, that little portion of that definition a controlled desire in our flesh you know we just we respond in angry ways to demand our own rights and we protect ourselves. we 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 stand up for self but a controlled desire is really the spirit of god enabling us to look at a situation not just from a selfish perspective but what what is in the other person's best interest that's meekness meekness is not demanding our own rights, but it's looking out for the interests of others. Um, I'm sure you know holidays like Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, Fourth of July, or, or even a funeral, memorial service, can be a great time for families to be together. Um, times when families come together, it can be the best of times, but when families come together, large numbers in a small space, it can also be the worst of times. Uh, when extended families get together, there are different personalities. There are different child-rearing ideals. Um, there are in-laws or outlaws, however you look at them. And there's this, there's this mix of people that has the potential for disaster. And when we gather together in situations like that, and if we have the pattern or the habit of demanding our own way, there, there will inevitably be fireworks. There will be friction. But in a situation like that, if you demonstrate meekness, you will have the Spirit of God helping you to control your fleshly desires and instead seek to do what is in the interest of others. 
Um, and the result then will be mutual edification and encouragement. So if you follow your own flesh, it, it could be disastrous, and it ultimately will be disastrous. But if the Spirit of God, if you're living in step of the Spirit, you will happily put the interests of others ahead of your own. So that certainly in a, in a family situation. Is meekness ever needed in a church today? Um, in ministry team meetings, in church business meetings with team teachers, with deacons and elders serving together, with brand new Christians sometimes in our presence that bring lots of baggage. Is meekness ever needed? Uh, I would say yes, absolutely. The, the undeserved grace gift that Jesus gives will teach us to have a controlled desire to see others' interests ahead uh, ahead of our own. But I think that is really put to the test when we've been wronged by another person. Um, so let, let me ask you a couple of questions. How do you respond when someone's offended you? Um, do you? Do you take steps to protect yourself? Do you do you take steps to defend yourself? Do you take steps to attack the other person? Do you seek revenge? Do you respond in anger? Do you slander that individual behind their back? Are you rude to them? Do you sometimes maybe even let hatred settle into your heart? Those are just some of the ways in which we may respond in our flesh if we have been offended by someone else. And if you recognize some of those sinful responses in your life, what do you do? Well, I'd say you repent, you confess your sin, you thank God for the forgiveness of sins that is yours through Jesus, and you, you give thanks to God for the life of Jesus who is actively at work to produce meekness in you. Because Jesus is your life, you can be sure that he will help you think not only of what is in your best interest, but what is in their best interest as well. As well. So are you, willing, are you willing to humble yourself, be gentle with them, returning good for evil, even when it hurts, so that their best interests are met? Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says this, and I quote, The man who is truly meek is one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Finally, I would put it like this. We are to leave everything, ourselves, our rights, our cause, our whole future, in the hands of God and especially so if we think we are suffering unjustly. Especially so if we think we're suffering unjustly. Now, here, here is something that is very surprising about this text. Jesus wants you to know that meekness results in inheriting the earth. Um, and I find this really fascinating. Our, our culture says only the strong will survive and prosper. Uh, the, the wisdom of this world says you, you have to look out for no, number one because if you don't, no one else will. Uh, you've got to defend yourself. 
Don't, don't worry about how it would affect others. You have to take care of yourself. In, in this world, we're told that you will, you will get to the top only if you climb over others to get there. But in God's kingdom, the Spirit produces meekness. That is, you control your personal desires so that others' interests advance ahead of your own. You, you serve others. Meekness leads you to serve others. The, the grace gift of meekness leads you to the grace gift, Jesus says, of inheriting the earth. So, who, who will inherit the earth? It's not those who try to bring in the kingdom politically or with force or with military power, but those who practice meekness in relationships. That's the surprising thing. It's not those who are, who are self-serving and push their own agenda. It's those who are putting the needs of others ahead of their own. Jesus says that's the one who's going to inherit the earth. The question is, the question is what in the world does that mean? Um, cer certainly the promise ought to amaze us. We, we would expect the opposite. One would think that meek people get nowhere because everybody ignores them, or it seems from a human perspective that everyone will walk over them as a doormat. But Jesus promises the meek will inherit the earth. That, that's not just... A small promise. That's not just peanuts. Meekness doesn't result in some little trinket throwaway gift. When by the Spirit you put to death the impulse to defend yourself or to promote yourself or you think of others first, then your inheritance will be none less than inheriting the earth. That's what Jesus gives. That's what He promises. It's all grace. But again, what does it mean to inherit the earth? Well, when Jesus promises the earth, he is promising, I think, an eternity with him on the new heaven, the new earth. There you will experience complete joy and peace and satisfaction in the presence of God forever. Um, now, certainly we have begun to taste that all-satisfying life today by faith. By by faith today, we reign with Christ over sin and death and evil. We're not mastered by sin in our own hearts. We don't live in fear of death. The evil one cannot harm us in Christ. That, that is ours today in Christ. Victorious. But when we are with Jesus on the new heaven and the new earth, we will dwell in righteousness, and endless delight in an unhindered way. And so, if you are promised the earth, if that's what Jesus promises, why is it that sometimes we go about scratching and clawing for mere earthly possessions? If your inheritance is the whole earth, why are you going to fight for those things which will perish? Why, why are you going to set your hearts on those things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Um, we can certainly clamor after status. We can clamor after money, uh, earthly pleasures. But we know, we know in, our, in, our, in our minds that it will never satisfy. 
The, the more you get, the more you will want. There will be a constant unrest in your soul because, one, you might lose what you already have, and two, you will always be recklessly driven to get more. And so one of the benefits of being meek is that you will be content with Jesus now. You'll, you'll be content with Jesus now. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6, 8-10, through 10, we are treated as impostors yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. That's what makes us content. Um, we have everything in Christ. I mentioned it at Dad's memorial service that Dad was content. And as I had thought about what to say for the memorial service, part, sometimes we say, when, you know, that person's really content. It doesn't take much to make him content. And I thought, that's really not a good way to really think about it. If, if as a believer we're content in Christ, that, that's a lot. It took a lot to make us content. The person of Christ and the work that he did to rescue us from our sins. So it's not right to say it, it, it doesn't take much to make us content. It, that's certainly true when you think of earthly possessions, but when we think about it spiritually, it's like Christ came. Christ gave his life. Christ was buried and resurrected from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at his Father's right hand, interceding for us. And he's given us the promise of eternal life. We have every reason to be content because of everything that he has given to us and all that he is. So we have reason to be content in Christ, but we have struggles in our heart, don't we? Um, and... We have that struggle. One of the reasons, meekness is something that only the Spirit of God can produce in our life. It, it's, it's the Spirit that will produce that, that contentment. It's not the flesh. We're, we're so prone to take care of self, to promote self, to defend self, to justify self. We, we have this huge battle within our own hearts. We we can so easily get focused on earthly things and what others have and what, what we want. But 1 Corinthians 3, 21-23 teaches us that Christ, in Christ, we already have everything. Uh, Ephesians 1, 4 teaches us that in Christ we have all spiritual blessing. But it's a struggle where we need the Spirit to help us and produce in us meekness and contentment the psalm, the psalmist knew this struggle listen to psalm 37 i'm going to read verses 1 through 11 psalm 37 the psalmist says fret not yourself because of evildoers be not envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb trust in the lord and do good dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off from those who wait for the Lord. Excuse me. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I love that psalm. The psalmist is honest about the struggle. And he, he tells us, fret not. We can, we, we can get all worked up in our own heart when we're looking at what appears to be the, the easy life, uh, the prosperous life that the wicked have. But we are to d- delight in the Lord and make Him our greatest treasure. The, delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. And then the psalmist reminds us that the meek shall inherit the land and, and delight themselves in abundant peace. Um, that, that's the hope that we have as believers, and that's where, by the Spirit, we need to put uh, our hearts, set our hearts. So if you are putting your needs first in life, you'll really be missing out on the best life now. <laughs> and the best life to come in all eternity. That, that doesn't mean that you don't care for your own soul, because you do. Our armor verse for May, part of it says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Um, we, we have to be diligent in keeping our own heart in step with sound doctrine and being diligent to following Jesus, but we do that, when, when we do that, the Spirit is going to be producing meekness whereby the power of the Spirit will be able to put the needs of others ahead of our, our own. Remember um, the two greatest commandments, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, in, in other words, we, we are to love other people uh, as much as we tend to love ourselves, we, we do a great job of paying attention to self, uh, protecting self, promoting self. Um, Jesus teaches us that if we love God, we will learn to love other people as much as we tend, give other people the attention uh, as, as much as we tend to give ourselves. What, one final point, it's this, number five. Jesus wants you to know that if you are in Christ, you are meek and you will grow in meekness. Um, If you've received the grace of salvation, you are already meek. But it's also something that you grow in and you mature with. Um, If you've been set free from sin and set free from death by Jesus, you should expect to experience more and more the life that you have in Him, which includes meekness. And this is why Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle, or it's the same word used for meek, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everything about the life of Jesus was done 
for his Father's glory and for our good. He wasn't working to protect self, promote self. Everything was about pleasing his Father and demonstrating his love for those that he came to save. When Paul was entreated, um, Paul, Paul said this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Um, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own, his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And then in the, those next verses, verse 5 through 11, we see the example of Jesus, how he came, took on the body of man, and, and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him, gave him a name that's above every name. I want you to know that the New Testament, we don't hear it much in our culture today. Meekness is kind of a, a foreign thought, but the New Testament makes a big deal out of meekness. Galatians 5.23 teaches us that meekness or gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 6.1 teaches us that we restore other people caught in the trap of sin with gentleness or meekness. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. E Ephesians 4.1 and 2 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness or meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness or meekness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Titus 3, 1 and 2, Paul says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle or meek, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Uh, James 1, 19 through 21, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James, one final verse, James 3.16 and 17, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, uh, gentle or meek, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The, the New Testament makes a big deal. Jesus makes a big deal out of 
meekness. So are you here this morning as a born-again Christian? If you are, I want you to know that you have been given the grace gift of meekness, and you are also called to grow in meekness by his all-sufficient grace. Um, Jesus has called and wants to produce in you a growing desire to have a controlled desire, a spirit-empowered desire to put the interests of others ahead of your own. That means you have to put to death self, promoting self, defending self, protecting self, and you need to think about what is good for others and for God's glory. Jesus, our good shepherd, modeled that perfectly, and that's why we have life in him today. And the Spirit has been sent to produce that in you and me in an ever-increasing way. And may he do that um, for our good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage that teaches us the value that you put on meekness. And Father, we confess to you and we ask you to forgive us for those times when we have not placed the kind of value on being meek that, that you desire. There's too many times we are influenced by this desire that we have to take care of ourselves, we've got to protect ourselves, we've got to promote ourselves. And yet Jesus came with no regard even for his own life, and willingly laid it down because he wanted to do your will and he wanted to provide redemption for his children. And so, Father, I, I just pray that you would help us as people redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus to value meekness, to put to death selfish desires, put to death a desire to protect self, promote self, justify self, and help us, Lord, by your Spirit to have a genuine interest in the welfare of other people, to serve others around us. Help us to, to love people as much as we tend to love ourselves. Father, we confess that there's so often a huge battle that wages in our soul and I pray that you would encourage us and empower us by your spirit to put to death self-centered desires and happily, with joy, serve others and to put their needs ahead of our own and to even willingly lay down our life sacrificially to give for the good of others. Father, we're here today because you've done that for us through Christ. Um, and thank you for your spirit that is at work to produce that in us. But I, I pray that we as a church would just reflect that quality of Jesus in an ever-increasing way. We know that, that it's for our good. We'll benefit in our relationships. But Father, ultimately, we want to reflect Jesus in a lost and dying world. We want to bring glory to your name. And so help us to do that by growing in meekness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.